Hey, my name is Ryan McVitie, and I am the pastor of the River Worship. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. If you haven't heard about the river yet, it's an amazing move of God happening in the greater Toronto area. Yes, Toronto, Canada. It's a cold place, but we have warm hearts, and we love coming together every Tuesday night and worshiping the Lord with all we've got. We also get to dive into the Word, and that's where we're going to go right now. We're going to dive into the Word of God, and I trust and pray that it will impact you in a powerful way. If you're ever in the Toronto area, come visit us. We would love for you to worship with us together. But enjoy the message, and God bless you. Hey, I'm excited. I'm excited for the Word of God tonight, and it really is the Word of God tonight. I'm bringing more scripture to you tonight than you've probably ever heard in a sermon. And let me tell you, that's a good thing, because the wisest man, the wisest woman on this entire planet will never even scratch the surface of the wisdom of the Word of God. Anyone believe that? You can say amen. It won't hurt my feelings. If the Word of God is this, I'm, I'm under the foot, man. I'm nothing. So we're going uh, to read a, a story from Scripture, and it's an incredible story. Many of you know it, but I don't know if you know it like this. I believe God is going to bring a fresh perspective to you tonight, and it's going to be applicable to your life, and it's actually needed. It's really, really needed in your life. So it's a long story, and, and we're going to go through it together, and then we're going to see what, what the Holy Spirit has revealed about this message. Who's heard of Gideon? Let me see your hands up. I'm not talking about the Gideons that stick the Bible in the Marriott, okay? I mean Gideon, all right? You've heard of Gideon? We're going to go through the story of Gideon tonight, and I'll give you a little context. Then we're going to read it together, and we're all going to learn some things together. Gideon comes from this, from the book of Judges, where we get the story, but he comes from this era for God's chosen people, the Jewish people, called the era of the Judges. It's a 336-year period. It's after the Exodus. God has delivered them from 400 years of bondage and slavery under Moses. And then he's brought them into the promised land under Joshua. And then comes this period of judges. And Gideon takes place right dead smack in the middle. So Gideon is in the promised land. And it's important that you understand that. He's in the promised land. But it's not feeling so promised during this part of the story. Gideon is going through a hard time. I wonder if that's us ever. Where, you know, we pray for that job, our dream job, that dream career, and we get it, and the compensation seems great, and then we're in it, man, and it's hard. We pray for that husband, and then we get him, and we're like, why did I do this? This is hard. We pray for those kids, and I don't make light of it. Kids are the biggest blessing ever, but this is hard. These kids are crazy, yo. You know, we get in our promise, but we have no peace. Why is that? Well, I think the story of Gideon tells us, so we're going to read it together. Judges chapter 6, verse 2. If you're at your Bible, you can read along, but we've got a giant TV behind me that's going to get the job done for you just fine. Judges chapter 6, verse 2, because of the power of Midian, look to your neighbor and say Midian. Come on, like you're a preacher, Midian. That's marginally better. We're going to get better as the night goes on. Because of the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Wait a second. I thought he was in his land, the promised land, but he's oppressed And they're hiding in the mountains and they're running 
Because see, verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. Y'all know I didn't know how to pronounce this stuff, right? I went to Google and checked for the pronunciation, just disclosing that. They, they, they camped on the land, the Midianites, and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. Verse 5, they came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. That's how many. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. That was their purpose. Midian so impoverished, look to your neighbor and say, impoverished. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And then jumping down to verse 11, the Lord answers, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash under the Abysrite. I said Ophrah, not Oprah, okay? Ophrah. So I don't know that the angel of the Lord would roll up to an interview with Oprah. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midians. I don't expect you to be farmers, but you got to understand, you don't thresh wheat in the low place in a wine press. You, you thresh wheat in the field. But he is so impoverished that he can't even thresh wheat in the field or the Midianites will come steal it. And come take it from him in his promised land. And then, verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13, he replied, pardon me? Excuse me? Look to your neighbor and say, pardon me? Mighty warrior? I don't know who you're looking at. I'm hiding down in the wine press. Mighty, mighty warrior. You know, I don't know if you're anything like me. When I hear something that I disagree with, even though I heard it full well, I go, what? Excuse me? <laughs> and it's not that I didn't hear it. It's that I didn't understand it, or I don't disagree, or I disagree with it. That's what Gideon is saying. Pardon me, my Lord. He replies. He, he replies pretty strong. He says, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? A lot of you in the room, you have had that question. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up and out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us? Some of us, we felt like that. Now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Look to your neighbor and say it good this time. Y'all have been failing. Say, go in the strength you have. Go in the strength you have. You, my friend, are stronger than you know. God knows the strength you have. You might not, but he does. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, verse 15, pardon me, my Lord, excuse me, <laughs> do you not know who you're talking to? But how can I save Israel? My clan, my house, it's the weakest in all of Manasseh, and guess what? Of the family, I am the least. You ever notice that trend in the Bible? David wasn't the biggest, he wasn't the strongest. It's a trend that we see. 
And I want to pause here and ask you a little question. At this moment, when we learn about Gideon's perception of himself, who's the bigger enemy? The Midianites or Gideon's view of himself? Because look, the Midianites might be stronger, and if he goes and battles them, maybe he'll lose. But his perception of himself doesn't even let him get in the fight. It makes him run to the hills and hide. Sometimes, my friends, we talk about the enemy like it's the devil. Sometimes you are your worst enemy. Let's be honest for a second. We're still reading the word of God, but who thinks lower of yourself than you? Does anyone? Who questions themselves more than you? Does anyone? For Gideon, this was the case. I know I'm no different. Verse 16, the Lord answered, this is the answer. When you seek the Lord and he answers, this is what he says. The Lord answered and said, I will be with you. Stop talking about yourself like you think you're going to do it. I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. It's good to know, my friends, that God has sent you, but it's even better to know that God is with you. When he sends you to something, he stays with you through that. That's what he's saying to Gideon here. So what happens next? We're going to jump ahead in the story to Judges 7. Gideon prepares for war. He says, I'm done living like this, hiding in the hills. God has sent me. I'm going to do it. Verse 2, Judges 7 now. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Now let me tell you a little context here. You have too many men. Between Judges 6 and 7, Gideon has been assembling an army, and he has put together 32,000 soldiers. This is like 2,000 people right now. Imagine 32,000. That's a big army, 32,000 people. But here's the problem. He is about to fight a Midianite army that has 135,000 soldiers. And what is the first tactical advice that God gives him? You have too many men. What? God says, I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, Israel, or Israel would boast against me and they would say, my own strength has saved me. I wonder how often we do that. Verse 3, now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. This is crazy. So 22,000 men left. 32,000 minus 22,000, 10,000 remain. 10,000 versus 135,000. This is crazy. This is not a, a realistic scenario that Gideon could win. Verse 4, it gets worse, but the Lord says to Gideon, no, still too many. 10,000, still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will wean them out for you. I will thin them out for you. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go, then guess what? He shall not go. So Gideon obeyed. This is crazy faith. So Gideon obeyed, and he took the men down to the water, and then something bizarre happened. The Lord told him, separate those who lap the water, as a dog does, from those who kneel down to drink. This is the test. He says, separate them. Verse 6, 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapped the water, 9,700 of them threw down their sword and their shield and stuck their face in the water. 
But 300 brought up the water. And then the Lord said, verse 7 to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and I will give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. This is crazy. So verse 8, Gideon does what? He sends the rest of the Israelites home. But kept the 300 and took the provisions and the trumpets of the others who had left. Now guys, you got to understand, to Gideon, this would make no sense. 135,300. This makes no sense at all, but he listens and he obeys. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. Verse 9, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up. Look to your neighbor and say, get up. Tell him, get up. Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. That, for someone in this room, is the word of the Lord for you tonight. Get up, stop hiding, stop being impoverished in your own promise. Get up, I am going to give it into your hands. Anyone receive that tonight? That's the word for somebody. That's not the sermon, but that's the word for somebody. And then God does something so compassionate in verse 10. He says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura and his servant went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. And I'm going to jump ahead for speed. But he goes down and he overhears a conversation of a man telling his friend that he heard a dream last night. And that in this dream, Gideon and his people would have victory. See, Gideon was scared and God gave him something to encourage him. And then verse 15 happens. When Gideon heard of the dream and its interpretation, what did he do? He bowed down and worshiped. My friends, when you get good news, you know what you should always do? Bow down and worship. That's what Gideon did. He bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. Look to your other neighbor and say, get up. The one you've been ignoring, look at him right now and say, get up. See, just a minute ago, God was having to tell Gideon to get up. And now Gideon is telling his men to get up. Gideon now is courageous. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. The Lord has given it to you. Get up. So what does he do? Verse 16, dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. And he says, watch me. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the 300 men with him were almost done. Reached the edge of the camp. At the beginning of the middle watch, there's some strategy here. The watch is the guard of the camp. This is a big camp, 135,000 soldiers. Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, guess what they did? They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. Verse 20, the three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. 
grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in the right hands the trumpets that they were to blow. And they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Here's the important part. Verse 21. Then, while each man held his position, go back to your neighbor and say, hold your position. Look to your neighbor and say, hold it. The preacher's got 25 minutes left. Hold it. You can't go yet. Hold it. Hold your position. Around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused, this is the last time I'm going to get you to work tonight, say, the Lord caused, the Lord caused, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their own swords. This is an incredible victory. And guess what? Gideon didn't even need to fight. I don't know about you, but I've been fighting my whole life. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of fighting just to get by. I'm sick of fighting just to have a little bit of peace. But this is telling us that if we will obey the Lord and trust in him, we don't have to fight anymore. The Midianites will fall. The enemy will fall. And the Bible, my friends, is the most fascinating document. You've got to know something about Midian. Midian started as a good thing for God's people. Moses, after he killed an Egyptian, by the way, I don't know if you know that, Moses was a murderer. Some of you, you think you're disqualified to be used by God because of what you did last week. I don't think you killed anybody. I hope you didn't. God used Moses in a mighty way. When he killed an Egyptian, he had to flee Egypt. And in exile, he stayed with who? He stayed with the Midianites. And he married a Midianite. And his father Jethro was a Midianite priest. Midianites were a great blessing to the Jewish people and to God's people. In fact, Exodus 3 Moses is in Midian when God tells him to go back to Egypt and set his people free. So the Midian is the beginning, the very beginning of their great blessing. But now it's crushing them. And it's impoverishing them. Their freedom started it with them, but now it's the thing that's holding them captive and tormenting them and not letting them move forward. And what I want to talk about tonight is that I think that is you and that is me. You got that job, and you prayed for that job, and you really wanted it. But now it's impoverishing you. You got the family that you wanted, and now you don't know how to do it. You got no peace. You got the guy that you prayed for, the woman that you prayed for, and now it's hard. What I want to tell you tonight is that you don't have to live impoverished in your very own promised land. That God has promised peace over your life. You don't have to seek shelter and run to the hills in your own promised land. You have been promised peace. So the title, we've worked hard to get to the title. The title of this message is called Prepare for Peace. Tell somebody, prepare for peace. Anybody you want. Come on, no, tell them better than that. Prepare for peace. Like you know it's coming. Prepare for for peace. I like that guy. Could never grow a beard like that. You're a real man, bro. <laughs> Prepare for peace. 
peace is promised to you. John 14 says, peace I leave with you. Not the type of peace that the world gives you. A peace that surpasses all understanding. You as a believer have been promised peace. I don't know if you know that or not. So if you're not experiencing peace, you got to ask, hold up. What's going on? Did God break his promise? Or is there something I need to look at? And I'll tell you, it's not the first, it's the latter. God does not break any of his promises. You are promised peace, just like Gideon and his people were promised this land. You have a promise of peace. But here's the thing about this title that you were so hype about a second ago. Prepare for peace. Prepare, my friends, is a verb. Prepare is not wait on peace. Prepare is not just expect peace. Prepare is work for peace. Okay, let me just ask you something. When you're inviting a whole bunch of people over to your house, what do you do? You prepare, right? You pick your socks up off the floor. You make it look like you don't live like a savage and you put things together a little bit. So it looks nice when people come over. When big changes are happening in your life, do you know what you do? You prepare. My wife and I, we had a big change happen almost two years ago. We had a baby. Do you know what you do when you have a baby coming? You prepare. You buy so much crap that you're never going to use. I mean thousands of dollars of stuff. You prepare. And then you learn that kids are really durable. And you know what? They're just going to be all right. It's okay. Just let them go do their thing most of the time. But you prepare. The river on a Tuesday night, if half y'all knew how much preparation goes into making this happen, to make a place for thousands of you, you'd probably be a lot more generous. <laughs> I'm just saying. The work that goes in to put on an event like this, there is a lot of preparation that happens to make something big occur. And peace in your life is a big deal. In fact, there's nothing more that you could ask for except to have peace. When you hit the pillow at night, not to be stressed, depressed, worked up, worked out, but to have peace. Peace is a big deal and it takes preparation. Here's the great news. The great news is that peace is promised. Here's the bad news. There is only one way to prepare for peace. And the only one way to prepare for peace when you have an enemy my friends, is not as exciting. It's to prepare for war. The only way that you actually have peace when you have an enemy who is coming for you is to prepare for war. George Washington actually said it this way. He said the most effectual means of preserving peace is to prepare for war. It's the only way to keep peace. If you want that peace and I want that peace, guess what we need to do? We need to stop letting the enemy have his way with us and take the fight to the enemy. Come on. That's what Gideon did. God doesn't want you hiding up in the hills anymore when it's your promised land. But at some point, you got to take the fight to him and stop letting the fight happen to you. This took a real turn, didn't it? At some point, we got to make that decision to get out of the wine press and get out of the basement. I want to ask you tonight, where are you hiding? I mean, really, do yourself justice and just open up a little bit tonight and ask yourself, where are you hiding? What is that thing that you have been too scared to take head on? Because it's going to cost you too much. You know you got to do it, but it's going to be painful. 
For some people, it's big things. For some people, it's small things. For some people, it's health. For some people, it's finances. For some people, it's their spiritual walk with God. But we all hide somewhere. And God did not design you to live in hiding and to live an impoverished life. This isn't the prosperity gospel. It's just the truth. He didn't live you. He didn't design you to live an impoverished life. Peace is what he wants for you, and peace is on the way. But peace, my friends, is not the default status of your heart. In fact, Jeremiah says something about the heart. He says, how wicked is the heart? We don't even know how evil it is. Peace is not the default status of your heart. It's not the the default status of your mind. There's some preparation that has to be done in order to experience that peace. And that's why to prepare for peace, we have to prepare for war. So that's what we're going to do in the few minutes we have left. And then we're going to go to war and worship because that's the best way. That's how I fight my battles. That's how you fight your battles. So we're going to look at some tactics when it comes to war. When we talk about war, one of the most important things we first have to discuss is this idea of surrender. This notion of surrendering. See, it's important in war when you surrender, who you surrender to, who you take commands from, and who you're going to obey. These are very important details. And let me tell you this, my friends. The enemy that we fight, you cannot surrender territory to him. The Bible, in fact, puts it this way. It says, not even a foothold do you give to him. Because let me tell you how the devil works in your life. He is wise. And he works incrementally. He takes you one step and another step and another step, one by one, so you hardly even notice it. And you just give away that ground. And you give away that ground because it's not that bad. And it's not going to harm anyone. And then all of a sudden, years later, you look back and you go, how the heck did I get here? I'm not okay with any of that stuff. And now I'm all the way out here, alone, on a runway with thousands of people looking at me. That's what happens, though. He's an incremental, wise foe who comes at you little by little and piece by piece. It's the way the enemy and the world works, so you can't surrender to him. I'm a history buff. Anyone in here like history? It's not nerdy. You can like history, okay? You should know history, because by the way, it repeats itself, so it's good to know it. Um, there was this really big war called World War II, and it fascinates me. I love World War II history. The other night, I stayed up till 3 a.m. just reading World War II history. My wife thought I was crazy. World War II, though, can teach you a lot of lessons because there was a very evil figure in World War II. In fact, pretty much as close as we can get to Satan in the flesh named Adolf Hitler. Pretty much as bad as you can get. And you've got to understand that the rise of Hitler and Nazi Germany didn't happen slowly. Sorry, excuse me. Didn't happen quickly. <laughs> it did happen slowly. <laughs> and then quickly, which I'm going to explain. It didn't happen quickly. It took years to get there, and it led to this catalyst event of the country of Poland. Okay? And Hitler ignores all international law, and he just rolls into Poland and takes it for himself. And now the world has a decision to make. Do we fight him? Because what he did was wrong. Oh, that's going to be expensive. And, you know, that's going to be painful. And, you know, we might lose some lives. So, you know what? We're just, we're just going to let him take it. We'll let him take Poland. Because surely he won't go any farther than that. It'll just be that. That's what happens in our minds. And if you know what happened, the rest of the story, 
Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of Britain, the leader of the Allied forces before they were even the Allied forces, he allows Hitler to take Poland and does nothing about it. Russia, the Soviet Union on the other side, doesn't just allow him to do it, they partner with him. Because they go, oh, I can get something from this. And they partner with him. Russia started, partnered with Hitler, and then Hitler killed 27 million Russians. Weeks later, the enemy turned on their word and attacked Russia. That's how the enemy works in your life. Hey, just this little bit, it's not going to harm you. Hey, Eve, it's just a tree. Did he really say don't eat from that? It's not going to be that bad. And we take a little step, and before we know it, we're fighting World War II. And we have millions of casualties. And our lives are falling apart, and we see destruction at every turn, and we go, how did I get here? My friend, with this enemy, there is no appeasing him. See, this enemy will not tolerate peace with you. The only peace this enemy will tolerate is when your life is in pieces. That's his only goal for you. Your temporal life and your eternal life, which is even worse. This life is but a vapor. You've got to understand that is the type of enemy that you fight. He is out there to destroy you. Surrendering territory to the devil is the most surefire way to lose your battle. But let me tell you about another kind of surrender. Let me tell you about a kind of surrender that guarantees victory and peace, and that is surrendering your life over to the Lord your God. That is stepping out of the wine press and accepting what he says about you and then acting upon it. That's the type of surrender we need. You know, we all talk about being soldiers in the Lord's army. You know what the number one earmark of a soldier is? that they obey, that they are available. Yeah, they're brave. Yeah, they're courageous. I'm not downplaying it. We've got some soldiers in the room tonight. I'm sure it's brave and courageous, but the number one mark of a soldier is that they are available. Imagine a commanding officer gave you an order and said, hey, go do this and get it done. And you said, well, I just got some other things that are more important to me right now, and I'm just going to work on those, and then, yeah, maybe I'll do it that later. Lord, imagine how that would work in the military. <laughs> you'd be gone. You'd be out. Thankfully, our God is more gracious than a drill sergeant. And he, he gives us more compassion than that. But surrender to our God is the only way that we can win. And that's what Gideon did. Going from 32,000 men down to 300 is actually insanity. There is no man-understood reason why it could help you when you're attacking 135,000 people to do that. It's the ultimate form of surrender. In the eyes of man, that's stupid. Man can't win a battle like that. Wait on, wait on that for a second. Maybe man was never meant to win that battle. Maybe this battle that you have been fighting in your life, and it doesn't make sense where God has you right now, and you see no way where you can win it, maybe you weren't meant to win it. Maybe he was meant to win it. Maybe it's not about you. Maybe it's about who you have with you. And he's just waiting on you to get up and to go do it. What is it in your life that you have been fighting? And God is saying, stop fighting that alone. You're not a mercenary. You have a whole allied forces with you. Bring me into it. For some of us, man, it's, it's areas of our lives that we've kept him out completely. And he's saying, just let me in. I will fight your battle for you. 
the most powerful thing that you could do in your fight is to enlist as a soldier in his house. We've been talking about his house all season. When you are in his house, you are guaranteed victory. You will see a victory. But we have to be available. So that's the first point that we talk about is surrender. The next two are much quicker. Here we go. The next point is get up. Look to your neighbor and say, get up. And do it scared. Get up and do it scared. I got to give credit to my wife. This is her favorite saying. She says it all the time. Get up and do it scared. Verse 9, what was it? Now the camp of Midian lay down below him in the valley. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up. Go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. Sometimes you just got to get up even if you're scared. Faith, my friends, is not the removal of fear. It's being scared and doing it anyway. See, we think that faith requires the absence of fear, that God will remove the fear, and then we can go out and do it. That's a great way to never get anywhere in life. Faith is being scared and caring more about the calling of your father and what he's calling you to do than the fear that you have. That's what it actually is. And here's the amazing thing. God is compassionate and he makes room for your fears and he understands your fears. Verse 10, what did he see? He said, if you are afraid, go. Don't stay. Go and I'll give you a sign. And that's what he did. He gave him a sign and he walked with him. We can't let our fear of problems make us move into the mountains and retreat. We got to get up. We got to do it even if we're scared. We got to take on the enemy, whether it's Satan or whether it's ourselves. Because I told you before, there's no one more critical of yourself than you. No one more skeptical of yourself than you. And friends, peace is not going to come by appeasing and just minding your own business. Why? Because your own business is usually the thing stopping you from having peace. We got to deal with the enemy outside and the deal, deal with the enemy inside. Faith is not the absence of fear. It's feeling the fear and doing it anyway. It's doing it scared. Look what God did with Gideon. He will do it with you. Three, our third and final point. Here we go. Look to your neighbor and say, hold position. After you get up, and you say, God, I'm scared. I don't know how I'm going to break this addiction. God, I'm scared of marital counseling. I don't want to do that. God, I'm scared of saying yes to that step that you're calling me to take. I don't want to do that. But after you say yes and you go do it anyway, now you've got to do one more thing to prepare for peace. You have to hold your position. You've got to wait on the Lord until he causes it to happen. Verse 21, while each man held his position around the camp, the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Now you've got to understand, this is 300 soldiers sitting around 135 soldiers watching that army wake up. Do you know how terrifying that would be to see an army of that size wake up and start grabbing their weapons? They would have been trembling and we don't know how long they waited, if they waited a minute, if they waited 10 minutes, if they waited hours, maybe even days. But regardless, they held their position. I don't know how long it's going to take for God to give you your breakthrough, but I know if you will hold your position in alignment 
to what he is telling you to do, the Lord will cause it to happen. Because that's what it said. It said the Lord caused. The Lord will cause it to happen. Verse 22 said, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused. Stay in your position until he does it. History isn't given to the strong. History isn't given to the swift or the fast. It's given to those who stay. Stay in your marriage. I know it's hard. Stay in your job. I know your boss sucks. Stay in that program. You only got a couple more semesters left. You're already in debt. You might as well finish it anyway. Stay. You don't understand the power of staying. We vastly overestimate what we can do in a short period, and we greatly underestimate what God can do with a lifetime of faithfulness. We got to learn how to hold position if we want to have peace. Peace doesn't come from running from here to there. It comes from staying, from holding your position. And here's how long you got to hold it. You got to hold your position right up to the point that it no longer makes sense. Preacher, you're crazy. Why would you say that? Why do I need to wait until it doesn't make sense? God had to strip Gideon's army away to a point that it would not make sense for the victory to happen because God knew that Gideon would take the credit and not give the glory to God. You got to hold position until it no longer makes sense to you so that you have no choice but to then give the glory to God when he does it and he will. When you can say the Lord caused. Think about it in the Bible. It happens all the time. Think about Joshua going around the great walls of Jericho, blowing a stinking trumpet. His generals would have been laughing at him. They all have siege strategies to scale the walls or to dig under them or something brilliant in the eyes of man. And he says, no, this is what God told me. I'm going to stay. I'm going to do it seven times. And guess what? The walls came crashing down. You don't understand the power of staying to a point where it makes no sense. Because God's ways are higher than your ways. They'll never make sense to you. Isaiah 55 says they're higher than the heavens are above the earth. Stay. Hold position until you can say, the Lord caused my marriage to come back together. The Lord caused my addiction to be broken. The Lord caused my family member to come know Christ that I've been praying for for so long. The Lord caused me to go to heaven instead of burning in another place. Stay until your testimony is that the Lord caused. That's what I want my testimony to be. If I get to say words before I die, I want to say, the Lord caused me to do it. The Lord caused, not Ryan caused. Not you caused. Because what we can do compared to him, my friends, is nothing. Stand up on your feet. Worship team, come on back up here. Because now we're going to fight our battle the real way. Not against flesh and blood. No, 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 no. We're going to prepare for war with our worship. And you've got to understand there is nothing the enemy despises more than your worship. So this time now is sacred what you get to do. God has given you a promised land. That family that you're having a hard time with right now, they were and are your promise. That husband is driving you crazy. <laughs> He's your promise. 
those kids that were so cute when they were two, and now they act like they hate you. They're your promised land. And God doesn't want you to live an impoverished life, especially when you've got in the promise. It's in your hand. You've got it. But you've got to get up. You've got to leave the little cave you've been hiding in and bring the fight to the enemy. Take your life back on your terms. Stop letting your life happen to you. Take the fight to the enemy tonight. We're going to worship now, but i got one last thing to tell you. I told you I'm a history nerd. You know how World War II ended? I told you how it started, but how about how it ended? It ended on a date, June 6, 1944. It wasn't even supposed to end on that date. It was supposed to end on June 5, 1944. But there was bad weather. So the date became late, June 6th. And you might question me if you really know history. Why am I saying it ended on that day? June 6th is a day called D-Day. The beaches of Normandy were stormed. Understand this, the Allied forces up until that day were constantly reacting to what the enemy did. Oh, Hitler did this, so we got to do that. Hitler did this, so we got to do that. D-Day was the day that the Allied forces came together and they decided, no, 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 no. We're done letting him bring the fight to us. We're bringing the fight to him. And we're landing on his shores. And we're bringing a force with us that he has never seen before. And he's going to shake and he's going to tremble. When you worship with your mouth and mean it in your heart and lift your hands up to the heaven, the enemy shakes because you're coming for his territory. He has loved you hiding, impoverished, up in the mountains. But you're done with that now tonight. It's time that you get up. God doesn't want you living this way anymore. Stop giving the enemy territory. D-Day was not the day that concluded the war, but it was the day that ended it. Hitler's days were numbered when those boats hit that shore. It was just a matter of time. I'm not telling you tonight that the decision you make is going to end all your pain, that it's going to end all your suffering, that there won't be battles on the way to Berlin, because there will be. But what I am promising you tonight is that if you make tonight your D-Day, and you go, devil, I'm coming for you. I'm not letting you come to me anymore. I'm going to stop believing the lies about myself, that I'm not enough, that I can't do it. Pardon me, God, that's not me. No, no, no. I am who you say I am. And I'm surrendering no longer to the enemy. I'm surrendering to the Father. I'm surrendering to the one who is undefeated 999,000 times to zero. And my life won't be the exception. Neither will yours. D-Day didn't conclude the war, but it ended the war. You can end the war right now. You can end the war right now and take your fight to him. All you got to do is surrender. And realize you're not a mercenary fighting for yourself. You can't beat the enemy by yourself. You have an allied force behind you. Look around you. You have 2,000 brothers and sisters in this fight together with you. You're not alone in this life. God didn't leave you or abandon you. 
But it's time you take life back. Back on your terms. Back on his terms, not his terms. Because that's where he belongs, down there. And our praise only belongs up here. So tonight is the night, last thing, where you make yourself available. Because that's what a soldier does. A soldier says, I am here. Whatever my order is, I'll go do it. And then you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to do it scared and then you're going to have to hold position. But it all starts with availability. What God will do in your, night, in your life is not limited to your strength. It's limited to your availability. So be available to him tonight. And I can't wait to hear the testimonies that will come from a life available to God.